Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Well, this is going to be an awesome time. It's already been awesome. It's going to get awesomer. And um, I told Liz last night, I said, I've got a really good message to share, and her exact words to me is, I will be the judge of that. So... We, we will see how it goes, but the Word of God's always good, amen, and always in season, just when you need it. Um, by all rights, I shouldn't even be standing up here. It was a pretty rotten night last night, and uh, for that, I believe that the Lord has got something powerful that He wants to deposit in us. You know, a lot of things are taught, but also a lot of things are caught, and there's something about being in the, the presence of God's people and and anointed worship and in the word that is you just can't get it anywhere else you just can't duplicate what you can get from that and so um, I love the opportunity to to teach and minister the word but also just to be in his presence to where we can receive things receive impartation ever just walked out of a service and you thought man I feel really good I couldn't give you all the reasons why but God did something on the inside of me and sometimes he'll bring back a word he'll bring back a song he'll bring back something to your remembrance that really stirred your heart and did you did you good? So I always pray that that takes place. Can I just pray over myself real quick? Does that sound good? Why don't you just stretch your hand to me and just believe God with me. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that this powerful, anointed, awesome man of God standing. I'm just kidding. Now, Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name that, God, my words be your words. I thank you for strength in my body right now. And God, what the enemy meant to, to keep me down, and I know at one point in the middle of the night, I thought there's no way I can get up and minister tomorrow. I thank you that you pulled me through. I thank you that I'm strong, and I thank you by the time I get done with this message that I'm going to be 100% in the name of Jesus, and every assignment of the enemy is canceled in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you will turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Man, who was not here last week? Oh man, you need to get the message from last week. It was, I don't say that every time, but it was just awesome. It was really powerful. But Joshua chapter 3, and I mentioned this verse last week, and I'm going to kind of, it'd be kind of take off from here. And share what the Lord has. And this message has been stirring in my heart for probably two or three, uh, four weeks maybe now, something like that. And I've, I, I always struggle with titling things, so I'll just give a title and then maybe it will match up or not. But I know that the Lord has got some things that he wants to reveal concerning this. But I want to talk about leaving a legacy of faith. And I have mentioned, and Liz and I both have mentioned a lot in the past couple of months about how that we see the depravity in the younger generations and things that are going on in our country. And we see um, the, really the lo- it's not the loss of young people in the church so much as it is the young, younger generations losing their faith altogether and don't even believe in God. And I really believe that we have a responsibility to, to leave a legacy of faith to where when our life is over, that people could look at our life and see that we didn't quit that we didn't give up, that we kept pressing in, that we believed God all the way to the very end. And I, I propose that a lot of things we hear about faith deal more with manifestation, but when I look at the word, I see that faith is more about a lifestyle than it is about manifesting something. 
Now, but let me say this, that I believe in taking faith to believe God to receive his grace in whatever area that we need. And we can back that up from the scriptures all day long. But I really believe that God has called us to live a lifestyle that when people look at us, they're encouraged, they're strengthened, they're uplifted, and it gives them something to look forward to. And aren't you so glad for the people that in your life that have gone on before you, that have paved the way in faith, they kept going on, whether they did everything perfect or not isn't the issue, but they just didn't quit. Aren't you so thankful for those people? And you can find those things concerning the faith. You can find those things in the natural realm. You know, when we look at the whole uh, tech age that we're living in now, and we're all a, a byproduct of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, and you know, before them there was the, I guess, the IBM guys or whatever. I don't know all of the series, but you see how it progresses, and you see the advancement we have in technology because one generation built on top of another. And you could probably take a lot of it all the way back to even Ben Franklin discovering electricity. None of the things that we're living in today concerning technology would even be available had he had not pushed through and persevered and set that that table or that groundwork for the future generations. Well, I believe that we're supposed to do that with our faith. And we should leave a legacy of faith that when people look at us, they see something in us that is real, it's authentic, and we encourage them simply by our actions that we keep pressing on and moving forward to do what God's called us to do. And I find too many people that shrink back in their life and in their calling and their walk and their relationship with the Lord. And I believe it has really crippled the younger generations underneath of us. And I was at a minister's conference and I go every year to this one particular conference and they have this one guest speaker that he's been there every year that I've been there. And now he's probably 83, 84, 85, somewhere around there. And for 14 years-ish, I've been going to this conference. And every year he has the exact same message. And we haven't figured out if, if it's because he's getting old and can't remember what he preached the year before, or if he just is that set on this is the message he's supposed to preach. And I believe the latter is probably more right. In his message, every year, he might wrap, wrap it just a little bit different, but basically his message every year is don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing towards what God's told you to do. And you know, when you're running a race, and we're going to get to these verses in a little bit, when you're running a race, the easiest thing to do is to quit. We are in a race. God's called us to run this faith race with the people around us and to keep pushing through and not give up. But the easiest thing to do is to quit. And so many times when I had gone to those conferences and thought, I want to hear about this or that, I want to learn about this, that, or the other, the thing I needed to hear the most was, Kent, don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing through. And I, I remember meeting that gentleman in the hallway one time after he had ministered that for about the fifth time that I had heard five years in a row. And I came up to him and I said, I just want to tell you, and he doesn't know me from Adam, but I said, I, I simply just want to tell you what a blessing it is for me to see you as as part of the older generation, that you've made it all of these years through life and through ministry, and you're still going strong. I just want to tell you what that has done for me. And the truth is, I wasn't just, I wasn't just being, you know, nice and diplomatic. I was, I was really displaying where my heart was at and my thankfulness. And, and we need to be, we are supposed to be that generation, that people, whether you're young or you're old, we are supposed to pick up that mantle and run all the way strong all the way to the very end of our life. And so the thing that we get tempted to do is to quit, to give up, to not care, 
all of the above, but God's called us to be a people of faith, not so much as I'm going to believe God and get a manifestation, because see, what matters the most when you get to the very end of your life isn't all of the miracles that you've seen, although those are important. It's not all of the souls that you've seen saved, although those are very important. But what matters when you get to the end of your life that people could say about you, he or she never quit, they never gave up, they never stopped sowing seed, they always were faithful to, to read the word, they were faithful to speak positive, they were faithful to speak into my life. Those are the people that make a difference and those are the people that we're supposed to follow in their footsteps. Well, if we've had those people go before us, we need to be those people to go before other people. Amen. Let me show you this from the word in Joshua chapter three and in verse 13. So Joshua chapter three and verse 13. I love this. It says, and it shall come to pass. And basically what was happening was that the children were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River and they gave instructions as to how it was to happen. And so the, the, the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which had represented the presence of God, that the priests were to carry the ark. And then it says in verse 13, it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The water shall come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap. Now let's jump down to verse 17. And I'm only skipping that because there's a bunch of names in there. I don't even know how to pronounce, but the verse 17 it says, then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground. Notice that they stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So the picture here is that if you go back and look at this, the Lord gave Joshua instructions and said, take the priest and have them put the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And when they step their foot into the water, the waters are going to part and then everybody can cross over. But you notice that the priests were the ones that they had to go first and they had to put their water in there, their foot in the water before the waters would be parted. So somebody, somebody had to go first and lead this thing. And so when they got the word of the Lord, they obeyed it, and it happened just as the Lord said. But when they got in the midst, they stopped, and they allowed all of the other people, the other generations, if you will, all of the rest of the people that they were leading, they let them go across first. And so they stood there strong. They stood there firm with the presence of God, paving the way for all of the people to cross over to the other side. See, this is a beautiful picture of what our life is supposed to look like. The Bible says that we are kings and we are priests, which means that we have a realm of authority and that we have full access to the throne room of God, to the presence of God. We carry the presence of God in us. We carry the presence of God on us. We are the ones that the Lord has commissioned to step out in faith and to part the waters so that the people behind us can cross over so they can see the power of God. They can see the presence of God in our life and they can cross over to the place that the Lord's called them to be at, but they're not going to get there if we're not faithful to step out in faith first. How many of y'all know that when it came to Moses and parting the Red Sea, that if he hadn't stretched out his staff, you could imagine being in that, that the Lord told him what to do. If, if he had 
come to a place of caring what other people thought, he never would have stretched out his staff, right? Because he would have thought, man, they're going to think I'm crazy if all of a sudden I just, you know, however that looked exactly. So, so he just did what was necessary. And the same with Joshua here when they were crossing the Red Sea. He did what was necessary. The priest did what was necessary. And you can imagine the priest thinking as they're carrying it, is this really going to happen? As Joshua said that the word of the Lord was when we step our feet into the water, that the waters are really going to part. There's a lot of things in there when you just look at it practically that they could have said, no, we're not going to do this. No, I don't think it's going to work. But yet they took the word of the Lord. They stepped into the waters. They went in the midst of it. They stood there with the presence of God and everybody else was able to cross over to the other side. This is what we're called to do. We're called as, as kingdom carriers of people that carry the, the presence of God and the nature of God. We are called to go first. And if we don't go first, then nobody else is going to, because the Lord has called you and I to be, and I'm going to get into this in just a second, but he's called us to pioneer the faith, and he's called us to be pioneers, pioneers in our life, that we go first in what he's called us to do. Amen. I'm going to get to that in just a second. I want to read some scriptures here to you in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, and Liz and I were talking about this recently, that the reading of scriptures is something that Paul instructed Timothy to do, and it's been maybe kind of lost in our church culture, and I think it's good to have times where you just read some scriptures. Is that all right if I just read some scripture verses here to you all? That's a good thing to do. So Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to be familiar with these verses. But Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read some, and I'll probably just skip some for time's sake, but I want to read a, a few good ones here, although they're all good. Hebrews 11, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though he had been... Though it, he being dead, still speaks. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken, had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then it jumps in the middle here and throws in this verse 6, which threw me for a loop for so many years. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want to stop here for a second, then I'm going to go back into these scripture verses. When it talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God. I had, and I've heard a lot of faith teaching, and I consider myself a faith teacher. I believe the message of faith in the Bible, but I'd heard a lot of faith teaching that made me believe that if I wasn't manifesting <laughs> the fullness of what the Lord had for me, then I really wasn't pleasing the Lord. I got news for you. Nobody manifests fully everything that the Lord has for them. But it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Keep this in context of the whole passage is talking about here. But this was the picture that the Lord, the Lord gave me. You know, we, we have four boys, and three of them are in baseball. And we, I practice baseball with them, probably not as much as I should. But we practice baseball. We practice hitting. We practice fielding, all of those kind of things. And then we go to the game, hoping that the practice that we did pays off during the game. But you know, no matter how good or bad my boys do in baseball, whether they hit the ball or they don't hit the ball, whether they field it right or they don't field it right, whether they run the bases fast or they run them super slow, I don't really care so long as they're doing their very best 
in what I have trained them to do and what their coach is asking of them to do. And so they could go through the whole game and if they tried their darndest and struck out every time, I wouldn't care so long as I could tell they had an attitude to keep going, to keep trying and to not quit. But you know the thing that is so displeasing to me is that if they've ever been in a game, and I know none of them would ever do this, but if they've ever been in a game and they, they lost their, their will to want to play anymore because they struck out and they had a, 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 you know, some bad thinking and some bad thoughts and then developed a bad attitude, and then the next time up to bat, it was just like, well, who really cares? And you can see the body language there. Do you know that that's not pleasing to me? As a matter of fact, it's actually displeasing to me. It doesn't have anything to do with their sonship to me and me being their father because when the game is over, no matter how bad their attitude was, they still get to go home with me, amen? Praise God for that. But there's something in a father that when he looks at his children, that when they take all that he has invested into them and when they say, you know what, I'm gonna do my very best, that's the thing that pleases God. That's the thing that pleases us as parents. And that, I believe, is a picture of what the Lord is saying here. It's not about whether you've attained everything that faith says you can attain. It's about you pressing on and keep going. And I'm going to show you this here more from these scriptures. So Hebrews in 12, or in 11, excuse me, and in verse 7, now let me read a few more here. It says, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of Things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. In verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she, judge, she judging him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were both as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now listen to this. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. Now, I want to say this, that when it says that these all having died in faith, I have heard teaching about faith that would say that they died, and because they died early, they weren't really in faith. And there could be some truth in that, because we can believe God, and we can prolong our life, and things like that. I don't have time to get into all of that. But I don't, that's not what this passage of scripture is, is saying here. It says that these all died in they died in faith, not having received the promises. Most people, many people, I'll say many people, would say that if you haven't received the promises of God, that you're not in faith. Because we know that we receive things from the Lord, his promises, by faith, right? But you know, I, I really believe that, and this is what this passage is talking about here. I'm going to go on and show you a little bit more. But I really believe that this is pointing to a lifestyle and not a manifestation. We receive and manifest God's blessing, everything he's given us by grace through faith. We understand that. But this here is talking about people that have a quality of life that they die still pursuing what it is that God promised them. Thank you for that rousing amen. That's all I got for him. I don't know what else to do. But listen here, it says... 
But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a, a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has pre prepared a city for them. Now I'm going to jump fast here. And I just want you to see something. Verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, J uh, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. If you jump down to verse 30, it says, by, the, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And it talks about by faith, Rahab the harlot. And by faith, um, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jeff, however you say his name, and David and Samuel and all of these people, all of these people who are of faith. And mind you, some of them weren't living a very good lifestyle. For example, Rahab the harlot, but God still considered them in faith. Why? Because their faith didn't have to do with their actions. It had to do with a lifestyle of pursuing what was right, pursuing him. Now, some kids look at the harlot and say she wasn't in faith, but the Bible says that she was in faith. Why? Because she didn't quit. She didn't give up. Jump down to verse 37. It says they were stoned. Actually, let's start in verse 36. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, have, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. So all of these people that it lists, lists here says that they didn't receive the promise or at least the fullness of what God had promised them, and they died, but they died in faith. Why? Because they didn't quit. They didn't give up. They kept going. They stayed the course. They stayed the mission. Jump down to chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is the weight and the sin or what's every weight and the sin? Well, I think weight just represents things that are latched onto you, that are holding onto you, that you're having to carry a heavy load moving forward. God says it's time to cut those things off. You've got things concerning family. You've got things concerning the way your mindset is. You've got things concerning whatever it is. And the Lord's saying, I want you to go this way. I want you to run the race. But there's things that are holding you back that you're going to have to cut it loose if you're going to win. You're going to have to cut it loose if you're going to make it all the way to the end. Because I promise you, you can run a lot further if you're not carrying a 50-pound weight versus if you're just running all by yourself without carrying the extra weight. Amen? That's what it's saying here. You have to cut things loose out of your life that don't belong. Some of you need to cut people out of your life that don't belong. You know, I have found something recently, and I've had so many people tell me because I've mentioned these things a little bit, but when you see in the, scripture verse, in the, in the scriptures, you see this, that there are many times that the Lord would have would have his people cut people out of their life because those people were hindering them. If there are people that are not of your faith, if there are people that are not going to encourage you, if they're not going to strengthen you, they're not going to help you, they're not going to prophesy positively in your life, which is really the only form of biblical prophecy, that it's positive, encouraging, and uplifting, and strengthening. If you have people in your life that don't do that, cut them out. You say, well, how do I, how do, I do that? I'm, I'm married 
to him or her. Use the wisdom of God, but you have to stop allowing them to influence you so you don't, you don't run your race in vain and not finish strong because people will hinder you. But it says, and let us weigh, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. What is the sin? I read this for years and I heard preachings about everyone's got a secret sin. And you've got, a, you've got something that is a, it's a hidden sin and, and, and it's entangling you and you can't run. That's not what this is saying. It's giving a picture of running a race. What's the easiest thing to do when you're running? It's to quit. It's to give up. It is the sin for people that are running a race. And you and I are in this, this grace race by faith. Amen? And we're standing with grace people around us who are running this basically the same race as we are to stay in faith and to stand strong and to last all the way to the very end. Amen? And we have something that we have to do in order to get to the end and be considered victorious, and it's that we don't quit in the middle. We don't give up. We stay the course. We keep running and go after what God's told us to run after. Can I get a big amen? amen. So I want to give you three areas of leaving a legacy of faith, three areas that we need to leave a legacy of faith or we need to have faith in, because this is about you need to keep this in perspective that when you're running and you're doing what you know, the Lord has called you to do, you need to keep in mind that there are people watching you. There are people looking unto you to see if you are going to finish your race strong or if you're going to give up. To see if all this Jesus business is for real in your life or if it's just something you say and by the end you're going to fizzle out. Because that's what happens with a lot of people. They say, man, I'm on fire for God and I love God. We're going to have to turn the air back on right now because it's getting too hot. Just go for it. I'll keep this pinned down. Thank you, Jesus. Where was I at? I'm sweating up here because I don't know where I'm at. I mean, I know where I'm at. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, the three things. I know that. I'm just making sure you all know where I'm at. Okay. So anyways, so we need to have faith in these three areas. Oh, yes, because the younger generations are watching us. They're looking up to us to see if we're authentic, if we're real. Amen. And a lot of them, they wouldn't voice that. They wouldn't say that. But the truth is, is that they're looking for people that have something real in their life that they can latch onto. So here are three areas that I believe that we're supposed to live in terms of leaving a legacy of faith. And number one is that we need to have faith to pioneer. Faith to pioneer. Real true, see, real true New Testament Christians are apostolic people. God's called us to be an apostolic people. You know that he's given apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. I heard a really wise man say one time that inside of every believer is a little apostle, a little prophet, a little evangelist, a little pastor, and a little teacher. So when you take somebody that's operating in that, in that gift, that, that office that God's called them in, it stirs that thing up inside of people. And we're supposed to have that thing stirred in up in us concerning being an apostolic people. You may not call yourself that, but if you've been born again, you're born again because of the apostles laying the groundwork 2,000 years ago for the New Testament church. That's why we're sitting here today. And part of that mandate that's on the inside of us is that we are to pioneer. You may not be an apostle, but I promise you, you have an apostolic thrust in you because you've been born of a God who's an apostolic God. 
Amen. See, apostles go into new territory and they break ground and they do things that nobody else will do. That's also what we call a pioneer. So we need to have faith to pioneer. Here's what a definition of a, of a pioneer is. A pioneer is a person or group that originates or helps open up a new line of thought or activity or a new method or uh, technical development. So in other words, a pioneer is the first one to go in and do something. God's called us to be that people. Pioneers bring new seasons in life, new levels in the spirit, new family patterns, new inventions, new perspectives, etc. You know that there's a, there are family patterns and some of your this I'm telling you this is the Holy Ghost right here. Some of you have family patterns in your life in your family that the Lord wants to break off. That you've been doing things a certain way because that's how your grandma did it and that's how her mom did it or your grandpa did it and that's how his dad did it. But you're not called to fit into the mold of everybody else. You're called to fit into the mold that God's called you to fit in and to do the thing that he's told you to do. Even if it looks different than anything else you've ever done before. God doesn't, he doesn't care if it looks different. He's just looking for someone that will step out in faith and say, God, I will pioneer that new way of doing something. I'll pioneer faith in my family. I'll pioneer having, a, having an atmosphere in my house to where we go to the Lord first, to where we pray over meals or whatever it is that you need to change. God's called you to pioneer that thing in your life. Pioneers do what others cannot or will not do. Are you that person? Will you do something that others cannot or will not do? Pioneers pave the way for the others. Pioneers are driven by what can be, what can be instead of what may not be. So in other words, we shrink back so much whenever we see the potential in something, God gives us a direction in something, we shrink back because we're concerned that we might not hit the mark, that we might miss it, that we might, we might fail at we're going to what we're trying to do. But a real true pioneer, someone who has a faith to pioneer something, cares more about what could be than what may not be. Amen. Pioneers set a new precedent. Oh, let me tell you about a precedent. You've heard this before. But let me say it again. It's a great reminder. Anybody in here ever heard of Roger Bannister? Oh my God. Anybody not heard of Roger Bannister? Oh my, you're getting ready to get schooled here today. What in the world? Are you even, are you even American? Actually, he was from the UK. So anyways, but this guy, Roger Bannister, all right, back in, I think it was 1954, for years, people had been trying to break the four-minute mile. And they said that if if somebody could get to a point to where they physically could break the four-minute mile, it would break them down emotionally and mentally because there's just really no way that a physical human could run the mile in, in four minutes or less. And you know that Roger Bannister didn't give a rip what anybody else thought about that? And he pioneered. He set a new precedent. Nobody to as far as history had recorded, although I think Elijah, when he outran the chariots, probably did it. But anyways, as far as what was recorded, nobody had ever run the four-minute mile. And do you know that Roger Bannister ran it in three minutes and 59.4 seconds, I think is what he did. So he beat, he got underneath of that four-minute mark for running one mile. And do you know that there are countless people since 1954 until today that have run the mile in four minutes or less. We have one of them in our family that ran it in 358 or something. Not our blood. He's in, we're not fast people. So anyways, he, <laughs> but he's an he's a in-law or whatever. But 
So there's been countless people that have run it. Why? Because one person said, I'm not going to be held back. I'm going to break that barrier. I'm going to set a new precedent. I'm going to pioneer something. And then what happened is that generations after him, hundreds and thousands of people have broke the four-minute mile. Hallelujah. And God's called us to do the same thing in the spirit, the same thing in our life, the same thing with our faith. Amen. So pioneers set new precedent, a new precedent. Pioneers care more about long-term results than short-term pleasure. Let me read that again. Pioneers care more about long-term results than short-term pleasure. You know, the Apostle Paul, and this might sound strange to our thinking, but the Apostle Paul had gotten to a point in his life to where he had been persecuted so much. I think it's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe, is where it talks about somewhere in there where he was, he was beaten and left for dead and stoned and um, left shipwrecked and naked and all of these things he had had happen to him. And he talks about that, that he's hard-pressed between two places, that he could go on and be with the Lord, which would be awesome, but it's more needful for the church that I stay here. He had gotten to a place to where he was, he had been, he had been uh, beat up so bad and was persecuted so bad that it was actually easier for him to go ahead and die than to continue in that state. But the Apostle Paul was a pioneer. You know why? Because he told the church, he said, it's more needful that I stay with you than for me to go on home to glory, which would be better and easier for me. It's better for me and the longevity of the church that I stay and continue on with you. Praise God for pioneers. Praise God for people that have stayed the course and have gone on before us, regardless of how difficult the thing was. So number one, and let me, let me say this, that there are, I, just to give you some scriptural examples, you can find all kinds of them, but even in Hebrews 11, where we read every one of those heroes of faith, as we've labeled them, every single one of them pioneered something in some way. They did something. They set a new precedent. They did something that God had called them to do, that they were commissioned to do, regardless of the fact that nobody else had done what they had done. Look at Abraham, for, um, for example, that Abraham started a new nation. He started a new covenant. But remember this, that he had to wander in the desert first. He had to live in a place. He had to go and live in a place that was less comfortable than where he came out of. See, a lot of times when the Lord will call you to pioneer something, there's a season where it's not comfortable. And you might get past the uncomfortable season in your life, but depending on how big the thing is that God's called you to, you may never get out of the uncomfortable season in your life. And previous, our next generations are going to reap the benefits of the faithfulness of what you've sown. So also look at Noah. Noah brought in a new era for the whole earth, but he had to build an ark first. Aren't you glad that he didn't stop at year 50? or year 60, or year 70, or year 80. I think it took him about 100 years to build the ark. Aren't you glad that Noah persevered and did that? If he hadn't have done it, there, we wouldn't be here. Because you realize that all of the, the genealogy of all mankind goes back to Noah and his family. How all that works, I don't exactly understand with all the different people and how they look and all of that, but that's what the Bible teaches. That's what we know and understand. Aren't you glad that Noah persevered and pioneered building the ark? Another one, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho by marching, blowing trumpets, and shouting. What a stupid thing to do if you're going to go win a battle. I mean, really, in the natural, that's a ridiculous thing to do. You know what you do? You get swords, you get your shield, you get whatever it is that you need to get. The troops rallied up, and you go and storm the city. But God said, no, I want you to do it a different way. 
I want you to take the people and I want you to circle the city. And then on the last day, I think it was that they circled it seven times and they blew the trumpets and they shouted and the walls came down. Unprecedented. Had never been done before. They pioneered something new. Aren't you glad that people have pioneered things ahead of us? We have to carry that same mantle. Here's number two. The number two point of concerning leaving a legacy of faith is that we need to have faith to not turn back. So important. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart or if we faint not. So many people get going on what the Lord has called them to and the path. And and a lot of times it's like, I don't even know the direction I'm going, but they just start a relationship with the Lord. But then we find them floundering and they end up off in la-la land because they don't stick with the Lord. I've seen this and you've seen this for years with people in the church. They come in, they get fired up, they have an encounter with the Lord. God does something in their life. And then after a year or two years or three years down the road, they fizzle out and you don't see them anymore. And you don't hear from them anymore. And I know so many people, when I check on them after years, that they've been doing something goofy for the last 10 years. And at one point they were totally on fire for the Lord, but they lost heart. They turned back, but God's calling people up to another level to where we don't look back. We don't go backwards anymore. We don't lose heart, but we keep moving forward in what he's called us to. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 15. And I'm just going to read this quickly for time's sake. In Hebrews 11 and 15, it says, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. So in other words, they weren't mindful. They didn't call to mind where they came from. And so they didn't have opportunity to go back to that place. You know, we need to get to a, a point to where we pass the point of no return. You know what the point of no return is? It's like if you're flying on an airplane from New York to England and there is a point there in that flight or any flight that if you're having problems, it's going to take less energy to continue going towards your destination than it is to turn around and go back. And this is a place that we need to come to in our heart before the Lord to where we say, God, I've come to this place to where I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to look in the rearview mirror and wonder what would it have been like if I had stayed back in that place? What would it be like if I went back to that place? Look, if God's called you out and he's called you forward, it doesn't matter how difficult it is. If the Lord has spoken to you, he will fulfill every promise that he's called you to walk in and he'll fulfill that thing in your life. Going backwards isn't an option. Looking in the rearview mirror is not an option anymore. Amen. Look at this verse here in Numbers chapter 11, 4 through 5. It says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we, which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. So what was happening here was that they were out in the wilderness and they had been eating manna for however long at this point. And manna was some kind of a bready kind of substance and that was the thing that the Lord rained down manna. Every day for them, they had their needs met, but they were getting tired of where they were at. They wanted to be in their destination. 
But how many of you all know there's a, there's a process that happens between when the Lord speaks to you and where you get to the place that the Lord has promised you. So if you're in the middle of that, which most of us are in the middle of something, that the Lord said, I want you to go here, I want you to do this thing, I want you to, whatever it is, most of us are in the process and we oftentimes look back and we want to turn back and go, man, we had it so easy back there. And oftentimes the place of, of ease is a place of bondage. Man, Jesus. The place of ease is often in the place of bondage. It's so easy to want to go back and to get into our, our old patterns and our old habits and our old ways because it was comfortable. But pioneers don't live in a place of comfort. Pioneers care more about what's going to happen in the future if they'll break through. Aren't you so glad that Moses and the children and then, uh, uh, then it moved over to Joshua that they finally entered into that promised land? Aren't you so glad that they pioneered and they kept going? But you notice the temptation here. They said back in, the, back in Egypt, even though we were in slavery and we had hard labor and we had to lift bricks and we, had, we were under Pharaoh's thumb, at least back there we had onions and cucumbers and leeks and fish and garlic. At least we had that. There's always a temptation to go back when you don't have now what you want. But remember, a pioneer doesn't care about the immediate pleasure. It cares about the long-term goal of the thing. And if we're pioneers, we're the kind of people that we don't turn back. That's the kind of people that we are, amen? Let me show you this one more verse concerning this. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 22, it says, And see now, this is the Apostle Paul, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of, that's real encouraging, isn't it? But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. See, Paul could have been tempted to go back to the place before when he was killing Christians instead of being the one that they were trying to kill. Would have been a lot easier, right? but the Lord called him to something and he said, I don't, call my, I don't count my life dear unto myself anymore because I'm gonna press on, I'm gonna finish my course with joy. Let me give you the third thing concerning leaving a legacy of faith is that we need to have faith to endure. We need to have faith to endure. Philippians chapter one, three through six, it says this in verse three, it says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from this day, from the first day, excuse me, until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until, until the day of Jesus Christ. But notice he says, for your fellowship in the gospel from this day, from, excuse me, from the first day until now. So they started with him and they also finished with him. They endured. And this is why it says that in every remembrance, he thanks God. Do you have those people in your life that you thank God for them every time you think about them? That you thank God for who they are and what they've done and how they've persevered and how they've stayed strong and how they've been steadfast and how they haven't backed down. I've got those people in my life. And it says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. 
Do you know that he, he wasn't saying that he makes requests with joy for all of the people, but it's the ones that started and it's the ones that finished. Everybody can start, but not everybody finishes. But there's something really powerful about having people in your life that will not only start, but they will finish what God has called them to start. Amen? Amen. So we need to be that person in other people's life to where we start something, but we also finish. Look here in Romans chapter 4. Let me give you um, a few more. Romans chapter 4. And here's the thing about enduring, being able to endure. It's one thing to know that you need to. How do you do it? Enduring is all about perspective. Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. And it says, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. This, of course, is speaking of Abraham and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Notice that he did not consider his own body What did he consider? He considered the promise of God. It's all about perspective. It's all about what you're looking at. When God gives you a promise and where the rubber meets the road is we get in the middle of the thing and it's not working, it's not going, it's not happening like we think it should in the time we think it should in the way we think it should. We have to go back and say, Lord, did you speak to me? Yes, you spoke to me and you said this thing is going to happen. So I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to keep my perspective proper and look at your promise and not look at the current situation that I'm in. Notice it was an impossible situation. They were both too old to be having kids. People that are 100 years old do not need to be having kids in the natural. But when God promises something, then it's supposed to come to pass. Amen? Amen. And so they didn't look at the natural circumstances. They looked at the promise. Look here at James chapter 1. Again, it's about perspective. That's what causes us to be able to endure. James chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. (laughs) I, 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 want to, I want to, no, I don't want to see a show of hands. I don't want to see that. But I want you to ask your, yourself, this is a rhetorical question. Do you really, ask yourself, do I really count it all joy when I fall into various trials? Now, when this various trials, this language here, it's talking about any kind of trial that you could possibly come up with. It means literally everything in the whole range, scope of problems that we encounter, we endure. Ask yourself this question. Do I really count it all joy when I fall into various trials? I would say that 99% of us in here do not. And there's 100 people in here, and so I'm the one who does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this, is a, this is a struggle for people as a whole, and myself included, And why is it a struggle? Because our perspective gets off. Because if you understand this properly, we benefit. Now, I'm not praying for trials. Anybody that prays for trials, you're you're just not very smart. Life has plenty of trials on its own. You don't need to pray for any. Amen? But he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing or the working of your faith produces And if you've got patience there, scratch that out. That's a horrible translation. Endurance is the best word you could put there which literally means, the Greek rendering is, hang in their power. But let endurance or hang in their power have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what he's saying here is that if you have a proper perspective and you count all of it joy when you fall into various trials, 
and you keep your perspective right, you can work your faith in the middle of that thing and you're gonna come out on the other side stronger than when you came in. And that means that the next trial that you face, the next problem that comes your way, you're gonna be able to handle that thing way better than you did the time before because you've been strengthened instead of being discouraged and beat up and put down or whatever the situation is. Amen for that. But it's about perspective. If you don't have your perspective right, it won't benefit you. You have to count it all joy. He says, count it all joy knowing. It's in the knowing that we have the benefit. It's in the knowing of when we go into something, we can go, you know what? This situation is really nasty, but I know when I come out on the other side of it, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna be strengthened. My character is gonna be stronger. I'm gonna be able to trust God easier. It's just gonna be no problem because God's gonna strengthen me all the way through. Look at the last verse here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two. Hebrews 12 and verse two. It says, looking unto Jesus. Now, this is right on the heels of one of the first verses we read where it talks about, let us run the race with endurance, the race that's set before us with endurance. And then verse two, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice it's about perspective. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy didn't come from the cross. The joy came from the benefit of going through the cross. Because when, you're, when you hit something, again, if your perspective is right, you can come out on the other side of that, gaining the thing that the Lord has for you. So if we're going to be a people that leave a legacy of faith, it has to be one that's enduring faith that we endure through the difficult seasons, the tough times, the issues, the problems, the family, whatever, the financial woes, the things that hit our body. Amen. And there can be different ways that you attack some of those things and you deal with some of those things. Anybody that has a sickness hit them and say, well, this is just my lot in life and God wants me to go through this. No, you don't understand the word. God will never lead you into, into something he's redeemed you from. He's redeemed you from sin. He's redeemed you from sickness. He's redeemed you from poverty. But when those things come at you, you can have a good perspective knowing that if you keep your heart right, you keep your focus right, God's gonna pull you through on the other side and you're gonna be strengthened in your faith. You know that it says that, that Abraham was strengthened in faith. Why? It says giving glory to God. See, if we can give glory to God, we can keep our focus right. We can keep our, our heart intact. When we're in the middle of the thing, we'll be strengthened instead of being defeated. We'll come through the thing stronger and better off than when we first came into it. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I, mean, I, just hear, I just hear something in the spirit that many of you are saying, thank you, God, praise you, Jesus, and you need to do that. You just need to go ahead and praise him right now in the middle of the thing. Go ahead and lift up your voice. Begin to thank him. Turn your perspective on how good he is, how great he is, how strong your faith is going to be, how strong you're going to be in your faith when you come through this thing and you get on the other side. And Father, I thank you that we won't shrink back. We're going to keep sowing seed. We're not going to lose heart. In due time, we will reap. We will reap. We will reap. We will have our reward. We will have what you promised. And God, even if we died not having received, we're going to die in faith. Even if we get to the end of our life, people are going to be able to say about us, they didn't quit, they didn't give up, they kept going, they pressed forward, they pressed on, they kept the faith, they ran the race, they finished it with joy, and they took some other people with them. 
Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that every person in here is strengthened. Some of you are thinking about quitting and giving up, and the Lord said, don't you dare. Don't you dare quit and give up. Don't you back down. I've got too much invested into you. And if you really want to please me, I'm sitting on the sidelines watching you to see if you're going to really have the faith, if you're going to use the faith that I've invested into you to press in and to keep going forward and to not look back and to endure all the way to the very end. The Lord says, will you do that? Will you do that? Will you give up this idea of wanting to quit and give up? I can promise you that probably nobody in here, probably nobody in here has dealt with things of wanting to give up in times past, probably more than me. We had times in the first year and two year and three year and four year and the fifth year and even into the sixth year of us. And here we are almost at eight years we've been here. And we have had so many times that I've turned to Liz and said, I, all I want to do is just quit. All I want to do is quit. I'm tired of the people barking at me. I'm tired of people coming against me. I'm tired of feeling like I'm not living up to the, to the level that I need to. I'm tired of not being able to see the breakthrough where I need to. I'm tired. Of, and I looked at all of my problems and issues and my shortcomings. And ultimately, the Holy Ghost through her would say, it has nothing to do with you. Are you going to obey? And are you going to stay the course? And are you going to trust God? In spite of your inconsistencies, in spite of your problems, in spite of your inabilities, are you going to trust the Lord or are you not going to trust the Lord? And so, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that we've passed the point of no return. And I thank you that some of these people in here, they need to get a hold of that. They've passed the point of no return. They're not going to look back to their old lifestyle. They're not going to look back at the drugs. They're not going to look back at the alcohol. They're not going to look back at that bad relationship. They're not going to be tempted to go back there anymore because they have their eyes set on you. They have their gaze set on you. They have their, their focus firmly planted on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. So that not only did we start with you, but God, we're going to end with you. Not only did we start with you, but we're going to end with you. Everybody say this. I will end with the Lord all the way to the end. I'm going to finish strong in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you. Bless you. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.